Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Continuing in the Rambam, <clears throat> Hilchas Eruvin, the laws of Eruvin, chapter 2, Perik Sheni. The idea of Eruvin, as we talked in chapter 1, is a rabbinic decree prohibiting people who share private property, for example, a courtyard, a condominium complex, an apartment complex, a hotel complex, even though it's all encircled and it's private property, being that there is individual and separate ownership, our sages forbid or forbade carrying unless an Eruv is made, connecting the private properties one to the other. And we talked about the fact that that is made by designating one particular place within that group of places that is a shared place where everybody can come and eat the shared meal that was collected by everyone. And that way, or collected from everyone, that way it becomes a common shared area and that meal ties everything and everyone together. Aleph, chapter 2, <clears throat> Halacha 1, Anshe HaChotzer. People of the courtyard, inhabitants of a courtyard, She'erevukulon, they went around collecting. And they were collecting, as we learned earlier, <clears throat> a whole bread, like a challah roll, like a little roll from everybody. Chutz me'echod me'hen, with the exception of one of them, who said, no thanks, I'm not interested. He did not want to become part of this, either either intentionally, he was a conscientious objector, or he forgot, he says, I'm giving you my role, but uh, then he forgot, he got a phone call from overseas. Being that he is in that courtyard, and he did not participate, so now his lack of participation causes everyone else not to be able to carry. Now he brings down here in the notes that nowadays we don't even do it that, that way. So we don't usually have that problem. Because we learned earlier in chapter 1 <clears throat> that one or two people are allowed to do this Eruv on behalf of everyone else. Because we're allowed to do something good for somebody else without their permission. And therefore, we don't usually even ask or bother everyone. So therefore, it's highly unusual that this situation should occur nowadays. Back to the text. Everyone is precluded now from carrying. However, and here's another option we're going to talk extensively about. <clears throat> and that is the option of subordination what if this guy says fine I'll just subordinate my courtyard to all of you which means you can have my courtyard it's technically for the purpose of Shabbos yours that's called subordination halachic subordination 
Now, because he subordinated his courtyard to the group. So everyone may carry from their houses into the common courtyard, from the common courtyard into their houses, with the exception of his house. But to his house, also they are forbidden, because he did not subordinate his house. He only subordinated his part of the courtyard. However, what if he subordinated not only his courtyard, but also his house? Everybody is now permissible to carry in and out. Why? Because they now have an active Erev, a working Erev. <clears throat> what do you mean? What about this guy who didn't participate? This guy subordinated all of his property, his house, as well as his courtyard, to the group. And in that case, he himself is also allowed to carry. Why? Because he no longer has any private domain. He subordinated it all. And now he becomes the guest of the group. So because he subordinated his home and his part in the courtyard, he is now their guest. We don't need every guest to sign up. He's a guest. So that is how the system of subordination works, and it works very well. When somebody says, I'll subordinate, and he doesn't specify what, the question is, did he subordinate his courtyard, or his part of the courtyard, or did he subordinate his house? The answer is, if he doesn't specify it, what he subordinated was his courtyard. And therefore, everyone can carry in and out of the courtyard. But Rishus Beisele Bito, he does not subordinate his house. Furthermore, let us say, there are 20 residents in this complex when he subordinates his domain to the members of this complex. He must subordinate to each individual by name. My property is subordinated. He's got to name people's names. Moshe, Shmuel, so on and so forth. Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov. And this is the opinion that Rambam brings down here. Others, including, I believe, Rashi says, not necessarily, he can just say, I am subordinating it to everyone. Now comes another halacha. What about an heir? Somebody dies. When somebody dies, immediately his heirs become heirs. So the heir could now subordinate dominion. Even though the person whose property he inherited died on Shabbos. But he's an immediate heir. Because the heir kicks in. In place of the person they inherited from, for everything, even with the power to subordinate property. Now the question is, can you subordinate property on Shabbos? 
No problem. Even to begin with, you're allowed to subordinate property. So that's why if someone passed away on Shabbos, his heir can say, I subordinate this property and now everybody can carry. Remember, all of this is for halachic purposes to be able to override the rabbinic decree of not carrying in the common area shared by many private people. Another scenario, what about the group who made this common Erev? What if they subordinate their property rights to the one who didn't? He may now carry. Because he's all alone. But they're not allowed to carry. Because they don't have dominion. They don't have any property. But before we said that he could be their guest, why can't they be his guest? You don't say the group should be the guests to an individual. Because for halachic purposes, a group does not become do not become guests to an individual. Of course, practically speaking, if a group of people become guests to an individual, they could eat. That's not the question. The question is whether halachically this works. And the answer is it does not work. What if those who did not participate in this Erev was not one, but two people or more? So now we have more than one entity who did not participate. If they subordinated the ownership of their property to those who did make the Erev, then those who made the Erev are permitted to interact from one property to the other. Those who didn't are forbidden. Now, those who did make the Erev cannot subordinate their property to those who didn't because you have two entities here. Even if they do, each of the two forbids the other one because they're two separate entities. Even if one goes and then subordinates his property to the other, it's still forbidden. Because at that moment when they subordinated, it was forbidden because at that moment it was owned by two different people. And we're getting into, obviously, as we see, a lot of technicalities here. One on one, if one person makes an Erev, he cannot subordinate his property to one who doesn't. But it has to go the other way around. The one who did not participate in the Erev should subordinate his property to the one that did. Just as one homeowner can subordinate his dominion to another homeowner in this courtyard, so also we can subordinate from one courtyard to the other. They would have like courtyards leading into courtyards, and then there was this large complex. Subordination could happen 
from one to the other and vice versa. Ketzad, what do we mean? What if there are two people who live in a courtyard? One of them did not participate in the native. He can subordinate his property to the one who did. So that now the second one can carry until he does what he has to. Then the second one can go and subordinate his dominion of his property in addition to the first. And now the first one can carry. And this can go back and forth, which means one subordination does not preclude a second subordination. Now, if there is shared ownership in a ruin, which means an empty house, then we can subordinate in a ruin as well. Six. What if somebody <coughs> subordinated his dominion? And then he went and carried in his property that he subordinated, which he wasn't supposed to. If he did it intentionally, then that act forbids everyone else from carrying because he showed that he didn't mean the subordination. If it was accidental, he doesn't preclude it, he doesn't forbid it. Because he continues his act of subordination, he just made a mistake. When does this apply? When the others did not make up the use of the privileges granted to them. But if they already did, <coughs> so they showed with their actions that they accepted his subordination. If he went and carried, intentionally or unintentionally, he doesn't forbid them because they already did a public act which shows that this item, this subordination, kicked in. And here there's a diagram of two courtyards uh, entering one into the other and so on. What if there are two houses on two sides of a public street? So I have my house on one side of the street, you have your house on the other side of the street, and there's a public street in between. So it's not private to private. And they got the help of non-Jews who went <clears throat> and placed a halachic boundary across the public street, which now connects the two houses, so now they're one. But the problem is they have now two houses, and they didn't make an Eruv. One cannot subordinate to the other. Being that yesterday they couldn't have done this before Shabbos. Why couldn't they have done this before Shabbos? Because there was a public street in between. The street only became private on Shabbos. What if a member of the courtyard passed away? <clears throat> and he left ownership of his courtyard to one of the people in the marketplace, to somebody. If he died while it's still daylight, so the heir who's not a member of this courtyard, because he's le'echad minashuk, he's just from the outside, the heir, his existence, forbids anyone else from using the courtyard. 
because it was during Shabbos day. I'm sorry. I believe this means if he passed away Erev Shabbos while it's still light. If the owner died before Shabbos, so the heir took possession before Shabbos. So <clears throat> this outside heir is not part of this Erev. But if he passed away once it's already dark on Friday night, he does not forbid them to be able to continue with their usage of the Erev. Similarly speaking, if somebody from the outside passed away and left his property to one of the members of this courtyard, if he died while it's still daylight on Friday, he doesn't forbid them. Because they're all already part of this Erev. But if he died once it's dark, he could forbid them to use this. Until this new heir subordinates his ownership of this new property to the group. What if a Jew and a convert, and this convert recently converted, and he has no family to act as heirs, and he died while it's still daylight. So now his property are open to anyone who comes in and takes possession, because he has no heirs. Even though another Jew did not take possession of his property until dark, the one who now took possession forbids anyone else to participate in this Erev until he subordinates his new property. He now becomes like an heir because he took possession. But if he died, after dark, when it's already Shabbos, even though on Shabbos another Jew went in and took possession of his property, that possession cannot forbid the group. It continues to stand in its first area of permissibility. So the bottom line we're learning is that whatever took place as Shabbos enters is the reality which continues on Shabbos. Nine, a Jew who lives in a courtyard with a non-Jew, not only a non-Jew, but he says here an idol worshiper, or with a resident alien. So it's a Jew living with a non-Jew. He does not prohibit this Jew from being able to carry in the courtyard. Because for the purposes of carrying, this is not considered a problem residency, the fact that there's a non-Jew living there. For the purposes of carrying, it's considered a, non, a, a non-problem. It's like there would be some other thing there. It's not a meaningful problem whatsoever. That is if there is one Jew and one non-Jew. It does not present a problem. However, but if there are two Jews or more, with an idolater, then an Arab becomes a problem. Why? 
<clears throat> if one Jew and one idolater is not a problem, why are two Jews and idolater a problem? This is a rabbinic decree that people should not have idolaters living as neighbors. We shouldn't learn from his deeds. We don't want his kids calling your kids for a barbecue. And before you know it, they'll be barbecuing with idolatry. In that case, why doesn't the same decree apply to one Jew and one idolater? Why only two Jews? Because it's very unusual that there should be a setting like that. Because traditionally, Jews were fearful of idolaters. Because traditionally, there would be a fear that he wouldn't feel safe with the guy. He wouldn't live with the guy. And therefore, if he does, it's a very unusual phenomenon. And the decree doesn't apply. The halacha always said we may not be alone with an idolater, because simply we're not going to be safe. Because somebody who worships idols is also suspect of being able to take a life without compunction. So therefore, it's simply not a safe thing. Whereas when there are two Jews living with an idolater, the two Jews will protect each other, and therefore we're now concerned about learning from their idolatrous practice more than anything else. When there are two Jews in one idolater, who dwell in one courtyard, and and this is a very important law which we encounter today again and again. Let's say you go to a hotel, you have a Shabbaton in a hotel, and the hotel is enclosed. It's no problem. There's an it's all good. Can you carry in the hotel? Well, we do. Do you know why we do? Because those who arrange the Shabbaton go to the management and they rent all the common area in the hotel. And that comes from this halacha. Two Jews and one non-Jew or one idol worshiper. They live in one courtyard. Just because the Jews made an Arab between them. It doesn't help. Why? Because there's a non-Jew living there. He's not part of it. A non-Jew cannot be part of an Arab. Or if they subordinate their property to him, he subordinates his property to them, one way or another to make it one. They subordinate it to one to the other. And it becomes like one and one, which we said earlier, is not a problem. Subordination doesn't work. Bottom line is, an Eruv does not help when there is a, an idolater or even a non-Jew. And subordination doesn't work. So what do you do? The only solution is they have to symbolically rent his dominion, his domain. And then, halachically speaking, for legal purposes, for all intents and purposes, he becomes their guest. And that's what we do in a hotel. Instead of going around from every from room to room, and renting from every non-Jew, we arrange with the management. If there were many, they can rent their dominion to the Jewish people. And then the Jewish people have to make an Erev. 
Now, in the case of a Shabbaton, the Shabbaton food is the Erev, because people eat together. If one Jew rents from an idolater, he can make an Erev with the rest of the Jewish people, and everybody's cool. Not every participant Jew has to rent from every non-Jew. It doesn't work that way. So that's the way we go about it. Okay. Yud Aleph 11, Shtei Chatzeres, Zulif Nimizu. What if there are two courtyards, one within the other, one leading to the other? In the inner courtyard, there's a Jew and an idolater. There's another Jew in the outer courtyard. Or there was a Jew and an idolater in the outer courtyard, the opposite. And another Jew in the inner courtyard. Then, this inner courtyard prohibits the usage of the outer courtyard until he rents from him. Why? Because you have now because you have two Jews and one idolater. And they share common area. However, the inner one, the inner courtyard is permitted to carry in the inner courtyard because either it's the Jew alone or he's there with one Gentile. So it's not a problem as we learned earlier. Now this rental can be done even on Shabbos, even though we learned earlier that renting is absolutely prohibited on Shabbos. But this is a symbolic type of rental for the purpose of Erev. Because for this purpose, it's like the subordination of property. It's not a real rental. It's just for distinction. The amount that's paid is even, could even be less than a penny. Nothing in law could be less than a penny. This is proof that it's symbolic. By the way, in a hotel, we usually give a dollar to the management or something as a symbolic rent amount. Furthermore, this is how lenient and liberal these laws are. If the guy, the Gentile, is not home, his wife can say, sure, I'll rent the usage of our common area. His employee, his valet... Even if his employer valet is a Jew, he can do it without even asking him because it's just symbolic of making a distinction to overcome the rabbinic decree. What if he borrowed space from this idolater to place some things there? And he did. That itself is enough. And he's considered a renter. What if this idolater had many employees, many valets, or many wives? If one of the above list rented the usage of the common property to the Jew, that works just fine. 13. When two Jews and one Gentile live in the same courtyard, 
And they rented the common area from the non-Jew, from the idolater on Shabbos. One can go and subordinate to the other, and they're fine. So also, if the idolater died on Shabbos, one can subordinate to the other on Shabbos. 14. What if a, an idolater rents to an idolater? So the question is, who does it belong to? Does it belong to the landlord or does it belong to the renter? If the landlord cannot evict the renter, until he finishes his term of rent, of renting his lease, then he can rent the usage from the tenant, because he took the place of the landlord. But if he can evict him without cause at any time, as long as he's not standing firm there or present, and the Jews rented from the first, that's fine. A courtyard which is shared by Jews and non-Jews, or actually idolaters. And there were open windows from the Jewish homes, one into the other, imagine three Jewish homes running consecutive, one next to another, with windows opening up from one home to the other. So now, they can carry directly from one window to the other. They can pass things through all three houses, because there's a house, and then there's a middle house, and then there's a further house, and they all have connecting windows. But you can't do it without an Arab. We also ate of that Khalina, so they made an Arab to connect the windows. Even though they can permit the passing of things between one window and the other. They cannot use the door. Why? Because there's an Anju there across the street or next door. There's an idolater. And they didn't do anything with the idolater. Until they rent space from the idolater, at least common space. Because even though there's three houses here, a group cannot become an Erev in the place of an idolater. So they have to rent from the idolater, then it's all good. Tezayin 16, Yisrael Shumachal Shabbos Bepahestia. What if a Jew is wantonly and intentionally violating the Shabbos and he's told it's Shabbos and he says, I don't care, leave me alone. That's called machalo, Shabbos befahes, you're wantonly and intentionally desecrating and profaning the Shabbos. So he makes a statement that he doesn't care about Shabbos. He doesn't believe about Shabbos. Or he doesn't violate Shabbos, but he's an idol worshiper. So, this kind of public wanton desecration of Shabbos or idolatry, for the purpose of Erev, this person is treated like an idolater. And you cannot make an Erev with him. He cannot nullify or subordinate his ownership. The only solution is to rent from him. Like as if he was a true idol worshiper. 
And here there's an important note that uh, the Reb Moshe Feinstein brings down in Igros Moshe and in, uh, in Beyer Halacha that nowadays there are certain leniencies regarding the status of people who publicly violate the Shabbos. They, are, they, are not, they don't fall into that category because it's not intentional, it's not wanton, it's not with knowledge. Nevertheless, the overall attitude must still be one of stringency, but it must be emphasized that the family of such Jews have a full portion in their Jewish heritage. Instead of shunning them, we must make every effort to draw them close to their spiritual roots, and this is the whole idea of outreach and so on. Previous Rebbe explained that most people who do not observe commandments today, most Jews who do not observe commandments today, it's because they are ignorant rather than they are intending to transgress. What if he was just somebody who would be considered an apikores, a heretic, where they don't worship idols. They don't desecrate the Shabbos. They're just heretics. Like the Sadducees and the Baisusis, who were disciples of Tzaduk and Baisus from the mission in Pirkeovus, who became heretics because they misunderstood their teacher. As explained in Pirkei in general, all those who wantonly and intentionally deny the oral law, so they are called heretics, or the Hebrew word for it is an apikores, the bottom line is, is that anyone who does not believe in the commandment of Eruv, cannot and should not participate in an Eruv. Because he doesn't admit that this is a law. We shouldn't rent from him. Because he's not an idolater or he's not a non-Jew. What is the solution? He can subordinate. And that's how we can deal with him if he shares a courtyard. If there's a regular Jew and a sordacy in the same courtyard, then the only solution would be that he subordinates his property because the other methods and modes don't work for the heretic. And just to close with a well-known story, to close with a well-known story of an apikoros, a heretic, which means someone who publicly denies the teachings of Torah, moved into town many, many years ago, and the rumor is out that there's an apikoros in town, the rabbi is so excited, he never met an Apikoros before, and he comes to the Apikoros and he says, are you an Apikoros? He says, absolutely. He says, good, I've been wondering, I wanted to discuss this particular section in Talmud with you. I want to hear your perspective. He says, you don't get it, I'm an Apikoros, I don't study Talmud. He says, well, I had a question in a particular Mishnah, can we discuss that? He says, I don't do Mishnah. He says, well, how about the Chumash, the Bible, Rashi? He says, you don't get it. I'm an Apikoros. I don't do that stuff. He says, my dear friend, forgive me. You're not an Apikoros. An Apikoros is someone who's a scholar and intellectually rejects the spiritual validity of Judaism. You're an ignoramus. So there is a very big difference between an ignoramus who never studied and doesn't fall into any such category or an Apikoros is someone who studies and intellectually, wantonly rejects 
End of chapter 2.